Good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning, and welcome back. Welcome back to the Porsche Cooled Podcast. I'm Michael Bath. You know me already. Uh, this is Owner's Stories. Owner's Stories again today, an episode I always really enjoy doing. Not that I don't enjoy doing the episodes with Steve. I know you're listening, Steve. You know I like doing the episodes with you. But Owner's Stories are a little bit different because it's the episode where I get to connect and chat with uh, Porsche owners around the world. Porsche owners who are sharing the passion, um, as I always say, you know, Porsche Cooled Owner's Stories, you know, was originally conceived by the fact that, you know, we all have a different story. You know, every owner has, a, every Porsche tells a different story and each owner has a story to tell. Uh, that's what I wrote down in the very first, uh, the very first owner's stories that I did, which was with Nick way back last year. Um, today, as I've always said, you know, the Porsche Cooled Owner's Stories is, is just about Porsche uh, and what I like about today's episode is is Stephen is joining me from uh, Australia. He's from Sydney. He's from my hometown. And Stephen doesn't have a 911, uh, which is great because this is what this is what Owner Stories is about. Like I said, it's just about the love of Porsche, the, the passion of Porsche. Um, so that's probably about it for the intro. I know Stephen's going to be waiting because it's almost uh, it's almost time for the podcast to start. Still recording these podcasts in London. This will be the last one I'll be doing in London, actually, because uh, on Saturday I'm traveling to traveling back to Bahrain. So the uh, future owner stories will be recorded out of Bahrain. Um, I know there's quite a few just before I get um, Stephen actually, because I can see he's come online. Um, there's a lot of people waiting to be on owner stories, and as I always say, um, I will get back to you. I'm, I'm I'm a little bit slow at the moment in responding, and I apologize for that, um, but there's always a spot to tell your story. So like I said, if you want to be on these owner stories, all you need to do is just go to Porsche Cooled, uh, follow Porsche Cooled on Instagram, just Porsche Cooled one word, and just connect with me, just uh, send me a DM through there. You can always you can also send it through my personal, uh, personal Instagram as well, which is michael.bath, but Porsche Cooled is probably better. And um, I'll get back to you and we'll, we'll talk about organizing a time and uh, telling a story. Anyway, let's get Stephen on the line. Like I said, this is uh, owner stories number 20. All these uh, pod, uh, owner stories, as you know, are done through Zoom. Sometimes the sound is good. Sometimes it's not so good. Hopefully today is one of those good days. All right, let's get Stephen and I'll be right back. Okay, welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to owner stories. Um, like I said, this is number... I don't know why I always forget these numbers, but I do. This is number um, 20. Number 20. I think I might have said 19 in the introduction before, so I'm going to have to change that. But it's number 20. Uh, today we have um, Stephen, and Stephen's coming from uh, Stephen's from Sydney in Australia, from my hometown. Hi, Stephen. How are you? I'm very well, Michael. Thank you. How are you? Very well. Very well. Um, so I was just saying in the intro, I mean, this, the, the owner's stories has always been about um, the passion for Porsche. Um, and it just coincidentally, I've never, ever had anyone on the owner's stories. Well, I've had people with the 356. I've had Mark uh, from Melbourne, Mark and Cars, who's got the 356 uh, and 912s. But I've never had anyone that hasn't had a 911. So that's why I was interested to get you on, because I know a lot of people when they're um, searching for their car, um, are not necessarily searching for a first, you know, Porsche, are not necessarily looking for a 911. So that's why I think your story is, is going to be interesting to, um, to the listeners today. But we'll get into that anyway. Um, so owner stories, you know, we always like to start it off, Stephen, with, with, you know, your first memory and your first, 
you know, your first memory of Porsche, if, if it was something that, you know, a relative owned when you were a kid, if it was something you just used to see and, and wanted one, or is it something a lot of people, you know, a few people have only started to look at them, you know, later in life. So what is, what is, what is your first memory or first sort of thing about, you know, wanting a, wanting a Porsche? Well, I think like a lot of listeners, uh, my interest in cars sprang from my father. He was a real Anglophile. He had a series of British sports cars, MGs, Healy's and so on. And uh, one of his very good friends actually owned one of the first E-type Jags to come into the country, a Series 1 3.8. And um, because of all of that, I guess, I wasn't particularly um, looking or Porsche wasn't particularly on my radar. Um, And then um, when I was at university, a friend of I and I, we were riding our bikes from Sydney to Perth and we took a detour through the Adelaide Hills and I remember riding through the hills and this, what was a Python green 911 Targa just came up behind us and and went past and and went through the... um, the curves and I just went wow you know what was that that is my first memory of a Porsche um, so that's what kind of got me going okay so then cars you've owned before so you, you when did you start thinking then when did you start thinking so you see that you see that green one that that flies past you the Targa when did you start thinking that yep. you know I'm going to start looking at 911s or I'm going to start looking at Porsches and start thinking well maybe I should I should get one was that reasonably recently or was it, was it a few years back now? Look, look, it is a few years back um, in one sense because then I had a couple more um, encounters, you know, with Porsches. Um, there was a fellow I worked with that had a 993 and uh, he took me, you know, for a spin in that. And that was very impressive. That was a beautiful car. And um, shortly after that, I was working with a consultant who had one of the first 996 uh, GP3s. And okay. he used to race Carrera Cup. So he had a um, the club sport um, option with the roll bar and the um, safety harness and so on. And he took me out to Eastern Creek, literally drove it out, swapped the tyres out, put on a set of slicks, and uh, we did quite a few hot laps. And I just remember coming down, you know, the main straight at Eastern Creek thinking we're not going to go through turn one, we're not going to go through turn <laughs> one. <laughs> and and this thing just carved through and I thought it was justifying the laws of physics in some way. And uh, once I'd had that experience, that was it. I thought, look, I've, I've got to start um, looking for a Porsche. So for me, I started in earnest about four years ago and I wanted a roadster. So um, that meant really that I was looking for a boxster. So I spent about two years doing the research, finding out about all of the, um, the problems, you know, of the early ones and the other things to look out for. Um, and I was quite willing to look at a 987.2, uh, but I really wanted a 981. And so this went on for a couple of years, I guess, researching, looking, I decided I wanted a manual. Um, so in Australia, that means, you know, less than 10% yeah. um, is sold with manuals. And um, so I had to set up the searches on car sales and uh, that's how I started to do it. So so going back a little bit, so you, 
you wanted a roadster, you wanted a you wanted a, a, a convertible, you wanted you know was it did you think about the nine nine eleven the nine eleven cabriolet? Did you think about a cabriolet? Or did you think about, Look, you know, a 996 Cabriolet? You know, I'm trying to think of something in the same sort of price range. Did you think about a, a 911 Cabriolet in some sort? Or were you, the Boxster was mainly the one on your radar? Look, I, I wanted to get um, a low kilometre um, late model 981 if I could because my view was that I was going to keep it for some time. So um, I... I felt that rather than get a relatively high uh, mileage 911, um, I I preferred to get a low um, mileage 981, which was newer, and I thought that that would suit my purposes better. Okay. So, you know, when when someone's coming into Porsche for the first time, I guess you look at, you know, you're looking at budget. Most people are about budget, and most people are about, you know, do I want a 911 or do I want a Boxster? Um, yeah. And you know it's 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 a classic choice of which one you're going to go for. You're going to go for a cheap nine nine six, or you're going to go for a nine eight six Boxster or something like that. You said you wanted to go straight to the nine eight one, right? So the nine eight one is yeah. from what year again? From two thousand and twelve, is it? Two thousand and twelve uh, through to two thousand and sixteen, I think. Yeah. Two thousand and sixteen, yeah, which is the pick of the yeah. which is the pick of that that model, right? So did you, did you consider the 986 or the 987? I mean, was, that, was there a reason I, why you, wanted, you overlooked the 986 and 987? Was it due to the, the, um, you know, the potential engine issues or was there another reason? The 986, um, you know, has the widely publicised uh, issues, you know, um, and so did the 987.1. So I was prepared to consider a 987.2. And in fact, um, I got to the point where I was pretty serious about getting a 987.2 because manual 981s just weren't coming up. So yep. I did spot one and uh, I went ahead, um, made inquiries. It was in Melbourne. I was in Sydney. Um, we got to the point where the fellow did a PPI for me and a few issues came back. You know, um, it needed new uh, brake rotors, uh, brake pads and so on. And he wasn't prepared to take that into account. Oh, okay. So we got to the point, you know, I paid the 500 bucks for the PPI, but uh, he wasn't willing to negotiate. So I just went, look, I think I'll, I'll leave it. And uh, I really wanted a 981 anyway. And so the search continued. So, yes, I did consider a 987, but uh, it didn't, didn't work out. So I guess that's, in a way, that's a, it's a bad seller experience, isn't it? It's not just about the car because if the guy was willing to negotiate with you and to reduce the price slightly because of those issues that showed up in a PPI, which we all know is the benefit of doing yep. a PPI, then you may have yep. put yourself into that 987.2. But it, it is all about the seller, isn't it? And the seller just didn't, uh, the seller just didn't want to... Um, cooperate which is very strange actually because those problems are not going to go away with that car so the next person that comes along and does a ppi the same problems are going to exist aren't they so you know it's, right. it's you have to be a little bit you know you have to be a little bit more sort of transparent as a seller when you're selling a car that you actually are willing to negotiate when issues like that come up of course ppi as we all know it shows up you know little things that aren't that important as well but if it's a major yeah. thing like that and it's a major cost which that those things would have been um, there has to yep. be some um, negotiating, that's for sure. So, okay. 
So your search, so you you did a PP on that. You spent some money already. Um, so the cost yep. of the the cost of the car is going up because you've already spent PPI on a nine eight seven point two. So then you, yep. you you keep your search up. You decide, okay, I'm I definitely want something new, or I don't want those problems associated with the nine eight six nine eight seven. So, how long did it take you then to find the nine eight one? Probably close to two years, um, because it's interesting. You know, I, I think. I was fairly flexible in terms of the options and the colour and so on. But then I was I was walking around my local area and this guard's red 981 came through a few corners and I thought, that just looks great. And at that point onwards, I thought, um, silver's okay, white I wasn't particularly keen about, although it does look great in the 911. Um, the black I didn't want because in the middle of summer here, I just thought it would get too hot, plus it shows all of the imperfections. And so I made up my mind then that I wanted a red, a guard's red 981 manual. And so when you put those two specifications together, the probability of either is fairly low. <laughs> and yeah. in combination, it means that there are very few. So, look, it took me nearly two years before a low-kilometre guard's red manual 981 came up. Yeah, I, I can understand that actually because I know when I, I know when you search even um, GTS boxes or even manuals now in the nine eight six are getting harder. You know, nine eight six nine nine six boxer S's. If you do a search in, on car sales, I know that there's there's less and less showing up every day in the boxer because obviously people are picking up the cheaper ones um, and they want the S. And I guess boxers were mainly. Boxsters and 718s were mainly specced in PDK, in automatic, in general, wouldn't they? Yeah, that's right. I mean, I've done some research online here to try and find out the proportion of Boxsters and Caymans okay. that were manual. And the best data I've got says about 8 or 9% of the Australian-delivered 981 Boxsters and Caymans were manual. So yes. very low proportion. See, I find that... I find that I, I kind of find it surprising and then I don't because, you know, I, I guess it's – but the Boxster is such a great driver's car, you know what I mean? The the, the mid-engine layout yeah. and the fact that it is in a manual just makes it that – you know, it really does make it that little bit better, doesn't it? It just makes it, you know, more of a – more driver-focused. And it's surprising that, that they are all PDKs or they are all automatics. Um, so two years, that's, that, that's a long search. So you were, did any, did any, did any come up? I don't feel so bad now when I'm looking for cars myself and I take so long, Stephen. So thank you for making me yeah. feel better. <laughs> That's um, okay. yeah. um, so when you did any other, did, did potential ones come up during the two years though? Were there ones that came up that you thought maybe they're okay or you just wanted to hold out for that red, red manual? Look, I, I just wanted to hold out for the red manual, you know, and at, and at that point, um, I didn't really mind whether it was an S or a or a two point seven. Uh, that was they were the minimum um, requirements that I had, and so yeah, I just just held out until one came up. So when the when the car came up, and we'll get into you tell the listeners what you bought. But when the car came up, yeah. um, so you were prepared, you were ready, you had the cash, you had the funds ready, obviously because you've been looking for for a few years, um, so you could yeah. sort of act pretty quickly. So what did yep. you, what was the car at a dealer? Was it a private sale? Where, where did you find the car? Um, I found it at a dealer. I found it at the Porsche Centre in, in Melbourne. Okay. And uh, it, it only had 24,000 K on it, which uh, is about 15,000 miles. 
Uh, so it was very low kilometre. Uh, it was in as new condition. Uh, the benefit of it being at the Porsche Centre, of course, was that it already had the PPI, it had the warranty, it had roadside assist, it had all of that. Um, and so I, I jumped on the uh, phone and rang the dealer and, uh, you know, the fellow there said, look, you know, terribly sorry, <laughs> but a guy rang me 30 minutes ago and um, he's already uh, expressed strong interest in it. He's, he's, he's uh, given me a deposit. Oh, okay. So, you know, after all of that time, I felt very deflated. I thought, wow, you know, what a shame. That was a car. What a shame. That was a car for me. Anyway, so... Um, a few days later, um, the dealer rang me back and said, look, you're still interested? I said, yes. And uh, he said, because the other guy uh, didn't come through. So um, we started the process again and uh, I ended up uh, being able to get that car. So um, so how long, when was this, um, Stephen? How long ago did you purchase a car? Uh, this was in 2018. 2018. Um, so, okay. Yeah. So yeah. tell the tell the listeners exactly what you tell the listeners what you bought. Um, tell them what they what you bought and and the options that came on your car. Okay. So it is a 2014 uh, Boxster manual 2.7. Uh, the options that it had it had the 19 inch um, sport wheels, which I was very very happy about. But it looks great. Uh, the other options were pretty minor. It just had it had the sports steering wheel. Uh, again, I was very, very happy about that because the standard steering wheel in, in that model boxer, I just think it looks ugly. Which uh, one is that? So Which one is it, Stephen? I can't think of what it is. What's the standard? So the one you have is the aluminium type wheel, is it? Or the? That's right. So it's got the kind of um, polished stainless steel look, three spoke. Um, wheel. Oh, okay. The standard one is uh, some sort of plastic, I guess, and it's moulded and the spokes are quite thick. And uh, to me, I've just never liked it. And I like it even less when it's covered with buttons. So um, that was great. Uh, sports steering wheel, sport wheels. Um, it had the colour centre wheel crest, which is which is nothing really, but it just no, it's important. kind of sets it it's off. It's important, yes. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and that's it really. It didn't have Sport Chrono. Um, it uh, it didn't have the PSC, for example. But at the time, I was thinking, look, they're the sort of things that I knew that I could add later. You know, that was that was and my I, understanding. And I think the Sport Chrono, anyway. I mean, if it was a PDK, I guess it's important. But I don't think you really need the Sport Chrono in a manual, do you? I mean. I would. I, it wouldn't I be an important option, I don't think, for me if I was looking for a 981. Exactly. So, so I, I wasn't particularly fussed, to be honest. Um, I think the only thing you get, apart from the clock uh, and the Sport Plus button, are a few extra um, uh, screens in the in the TFT display. I think there's a G4 display, and I think there's a gear shift assist. But I could do without all of those. Um, so it, it, it's not as important on the manual as it is on, on the PDK, I agree. Can you get, can you get, because I know for my 997, and I think someone else mentioned it to me, you can actually get the sport button fitted by Porsche, which is just a map, which is basically the part of the thing that came with the chrono pack. Is that an option for the Boxster? 
it does have the sport button, but oh, with does. the Chrono Pack, you get the sport. You get the Sport Plus. So oh, okay. I'm not quite okay. sure what it does, oh, but right, the sport right. button does come. Does mm. come standard, and it does uh, sharpen up the throttle response a little bit. So I do have the sport mode. Okay. I, I have actually since found out that uh, I did contact uh, Porsche, Porsche Center here, and you cannot actually retrofit the Sport Chrono package to the 981 Boxster, which I was kind of surprised about. But you can retrofit the Porsche Sport Exhaust, of course, you know, if, if uh, you wanted to do that. It's very expensive. <laughs> Look, uh, I, I, got a, I got a price on it again just last week, and it's ridiculous. You know, it's in Australian dollars, the recommended retail is over $5,000, you know, and they were willing to, you know, give it to me for four seven. But honestly, I just... <laughs> is that installed, though? Was that installed yeah. or that was just no, the part? No, that's completely installed. You install all the wiring, um, all the parts, everything. So drive in $4,700 later, you drive out with it installed. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. I know it takes quite a few hours to fit that because of the because of the switch and everything, the switch button, right? So it does actually take quite a while. Yeah. So when you found the car, so let's just go back though because we just jumped a step. So you found the car in Melbourne. Do you do you yep. fly down from Sydney to Melbourne and check out the car, or do you trust the the Porsche Centre in Melbourne to to give you all the right information? What what did you do next? Look, I didn't fly down. I I thought that look, it's a Porsche Centre. Um, I've got the warranty. It's had the PPI. Um, I got them to fax up, well, email up to me um, the service history of the car, the brake fluid changes, all of the services. Uh, the results of the inspection. And so I just felt at that time um, that I would just have to trust them. And um, that's what I did. I was on holidays at the time as well, so oh, okay. I wasn't really able to jump onto a plane and go down and abandon my wife uh, up at my friend's place. So I, I just trusted it. So this, the car you found it was a one-owner car? Yes, it was. It was one a one-owner owner car. car. And was there anything, yeah. so it had a good service history, it had had low kilometres, like you said, it had the Porsche warranty, which is a two-year warranty, is it, or one-year warranty? I can't remember. Uh, it was a one-year warranty at that stage, yeah. Okay, one-year uh, warranty. So was there anything on the, was there anything that was still flagged that, that, that came up that you would have, that had to be fixed under warranty before they sent the car out to you, or was it, it was it perfect? It was absolutely perfect, and and the other um, advantage of it was that they fitted four brand new uh, N-spec tyres. Um, they did a service on it, um, and so there was absolutely nothing to spend as well. Um, so it, it was uh, it was in as new condition. Right. So then, so then Porsche Melbourne organised the shipping, so you get it sent to Sydney. <clears throat> yep. And when the car arrives, right. what was your first impression yep. when you saw it? Uh, look, I, I thought it was uh, everything that I'd hoped for. I mean, it was there in the showroom. Uh, it looked absolutely beautiful. Um, so I was very, very happy with it. So what did they do? They uh, Porsche Melbourne deliver it to Porsche Sydney and you pick it up from there or you or it's sent to your house? How That's does right. it, it goes to Porsche Sydney, does it? So, yeah, so it went to Porsche Sydney. Um, the registration had to be changed, of course, because it was uh, a Victorian car. And I took the opportunity. I was very, very lucky to get some um, some plates for it. So I got the 
uh, red and white um, 981 POR plates, which I couldn't believe <laughs> were still available. So um, when I went to pick it up, uh, Porsche uh, Sydney had uh, done all the registration, uh, they'd fitted the plates, and it was ready for me to drive out, out, the, uh, out the door. It's quite surprising about um, vanity plates or whatever they're called, custom plates as we call them in Australia, that you think you think the one you want is yeah. going to be gone um, and, it is, yeah. and it isn't gone, which is always a surprising. I mean, I've, I've been talking, I was talking uh, not that long ago to a, one of the listeners in Melbourne who was who wanted some input on what sort of plate to get and I gave him a couple of options and I, I checked on Victoria's uh, you know number plate site for him and I was surprised that these plates were actually available. You know what I mean? Like they're they're just you know if you do the search, you can actually still get a good plate. There's I mean, the other day I, you know, my car has got P nine nine seven as the plate, um, and there's yeah. other ones available for other generations with the same format. They're still available. People haven't taken them, which I find quite surprising yeah. that they're not being taken already. Um, so That's you've had right. the car now for you've had the car for two years. So during those two years yeah. of ownership, and this is what the listeners like to, to hear about, you know, there's someone listening to the podcast who's thinking, well, I, I want to get a Boxster as well. I didn't want to get a 911. I'm looking at Boxsters. So in the 991, yeah. have there been any issues and you've got a warranty and I guess you've extended that yeah. warranty as well. <clears throat> um, are there any issues that have come up with the, with the Boxster in that period? Um, there have been. Um, you know, I, I did a lot of research and I think the general consensus on the forums and so on was that it was pretty sound mechanically. You know, there was nothing uh, notable to look out for. But um, I took the delivery of it. Uh, I very, very rarely, you know, turn the radio on or play music because I just love the sound of the engine. Uh, and I, <laughs> I thought before the warranty was about to expire, I'd just check absolutely everything. So I put a CD into the PCM and it played and it wouldn't eject, you know. So I thought, okay, um, I, I tried this repeatedly over about a week or so. So I thought, look, it's under warranty. I'll uh, mention this uh, to the Porsche dealer and uh, took it in. And, uh, of course, as soon as I tried it, the CD ejected. You know, it's oh, uncanny really? how that happens. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I think, you know, they put their PWIS um, tester on it and it logs all sorts of data. And they said, look, uh, no problem at all. We can see that this has had um, issues. And I said, okay, so, so what's the remedy? And uh, they said, we'll just replace the entire PCM. So wow. well, I, I, couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't be happier because I think that was probably about five grand's worth. I'm, I'm not sure exactly. I was going to say about uh, six or seven grand, yeah, at least for the, for the whole I, PCM, I, yeah. That's right. So um, for something that I really used, I thought that was pretty good value. Um, and I have had one other issue um, and uh, – I'm pretty meticulous when it comes to cleaning and detailing and so on. And about about 12 months, no, sorry, about two weeks before I was taking it in for service, um, uh, which was two weeks before the warranty expired, I noticed on the soft top there were two uh, very, very light marks, uh, symmetric on each side of the, the canopy, and it looked like something had been rubbing it. Now, I'd, I'd cleaned this car many times, you know, over the time I had it, and I'd never noticed them before. 
anyway, so when I when I took it in um, to the dealer, I said, look, there's, there's probably nothing, but there's a couple of small marks on the um, on the canopy. Can you have a look at it? And uh, they said, yeah, you know, we've, we've never seen this before. It turns out that when the canopy was being retracted, it was just touching the bodywork ever so slightly okay. you know, as it was folding down into the retracted position. And uh, they told me this. And I said, well, you know, um, surely that's a matter of a simple adjustment. You know, there must be some way of taking up some slack in the, um, the roof frame or something. And they said, there's absolutely no adjustment. It, it, we can't do anything to fix this. So I said, look, you know, um, if this continues, uh, it's likely to become a problem a bit further down the track when the vehicle's out of warranty. I really would like it attended to now. So they got a, um, a brand new soft top, uh, which again, I think was, you know, maybe seven grand, something like that. They got their upholsterer and they replaced the whole thing under warranty completely. Uh, so it's now actually got a brand new soft top. So I was curious to find out what, what was causing this problem. And they said that I haven't seen this because you don't get the, the replaced part back. Uh, they keep it um, so that it's not reused or sold secondhand. But apparently there was a small tear that had developed somewhere um, in the in the top and that had just let a little bit of tension off. And so instead of it being pulled completely tightly over the roof um, okay. frame, it was just a little bit loose. But um, So they you know, fixed that. So uh, that's been fixed with the new top. It's not going to do the same thing. Absolutely. So um, they've never seen this before. I've never heard of any of these issues on any of the forums, you know, Renlist or Planet Nine or the owners' um, groups. And so as far as I'm aware, it's a, it's a complete one-off. So I wouldn't suggest to any other people, you know, thinking of buying a, a, a box that this might be an issue. It, it certainly doesn't appear to be. So the PCM replacement and the top replacement all happened in the first year then, the first year of your warranty. So you had one yeah, year warranty right. only. Did you extend your warranty? I didn't um, did. because, again, I thought, well, you know, um, there are no real issues known with these cars. I think they've got a very, very good reputation. Um, and I think, you know, the warranty is, the way I look at it, it's, it's insurance. And really, insurance is there in case you can't pay for it yourself. And so when I, when I weighed all of this up, I thought, you know, it's a couple of grand for another two years of warranty. Um, I can't anticipate any further issues on a low mileage vehicle yeah um, so I just took the decision not to extend the warranty going back to the going back to the replacement top the replacement top was was done in Porsche or they had to send it out to someone else to replace it, it was a factory part you said that they replaced it with a factory yeah, part yeah, but was it done by them at Porsche Sydney or was it done by somebody else I believe it was done uh, at Porsche Sydney I mean I, I don't know for certain but it was because a I, factory part. Yeah, yeah, the reason the reason why I ask is I read an article on um, Porsche uh, Porsche's website actually, <clears throat> and it was about a nine eight six. It's about nine eight six Boxster and about someone who bought a nine eight six Boxster and who was searching for one. Um, it was just a story about you know buying classic, the new classic, the new Boxster classic, basically talking about it like a classic yeah. car. And they had to replace the top, and they said that the problem with the tops is is that the Porsche dealers 
with the older ones have problems fitting them. So in Germany, they Porsche recommends that they go to, I think it was a saddle maker. It was a saddlery or oh. saddle maker where they actually go and get the top replaced by this company. And I'm guessing that's because it's an old, an old Boxster. It's not a new one like yours. So I guess the newer ones are different. Yeah. Maybe it's the way they're constructed. But I thought that was quite interesting mm -hmm. that Porsche actually directed this person to a saddle maker. And this person was in Germany, so it was a bit different. Um, right. to get the top replaced on the Boxster. So I thought that yeah. was a bit, that was quite interesting. So, okay, so you had the, you know, it's it's a newer car, so nothing, so in the past year after the warranty's run out, Stephen, nothing, there's been no, yeah. um, there's been no other issues with the car. It's been a very reliable car. Absolutely. You know, it hasn't got a rattle, it hasn't got a squeak. Um, it, it, it's, it's beautiful, so no other issues. So what... Are there any things that you are planning to do to it? Are there, you know, you talked about the exhaust before, and you got the price for the Porsche Sports exhaust, and it's it's quite expensive. Yeah. Is there? Are you still yeah. thinking? Yeah, I want to do the exhaust, or I want to do something else. Is there anything on your list of of options or upgrades that you want to do over the next, you know, couple of years? Look, look I have done a few um, relatively minor um, upgrades, I guess. Okay. Uh, one of the things I did was to. Uh, it's interesting, actually, you know, um, it has this wind blocker, which is a, a screen, um, which is kind of a mesh. I don't know whether you're familiar with it, Michael. Yeah, I am. It, I am. Does it work? It, it, look, it's, it's extremely effective at uh, providing a calm cabin, but it does reduce the rear visibility, particularly at night. And so uh, one of the things I did was I got a clear wind blocker screen from Suncoast. Okay. Uh, uh, it just just popped in, it fits perfectly, and it's just made such a difference to to the visibility. So I did that. Um, that's an the, that's an OEM part, the clear one? That's a Porsche not. part? Uh, it's not. Yeah, I, I believe that it's not. I think it's actually made uh, by a third party and it's just supplied through through Suncoast. So it's not an official um, Porsche part. It's surprising that Porsche wouldn't make that because it, you're right. I didn't even think about that. That mesh that comes up because you sit so low in the Boxster as well, don't you? You're sitting quite low. Yeah. And you would yeah. actually that would be a little bit hard for visibility with that with the blocker up. So it's a it's a clear part, it and is. it was just a it was just a, a pull out slip in sort of um, fitment, was it? Absolutely. So the old the old one just clicked out. The new one clicked in. The fit was perfect. Um, and it was just a, it just, it's a small thing, but it's makes, it makes a difference, you know, to yeah, the driving yeah, experience. True. Um, so I, the other things I've done, look, I, I never really liked the look of the exhaust tailpipe on the base Boxster. It kind of, to me, looks like an appliance fitting from a vacuum cleaner or something, you know, that. What shape that kind is of the exhaust shape. on yours, Stephen? What, I'm just, so it, I'm just trying to remember. It's, it's kind of an oval shape. Um, on on the base one, uh, whereas the S model has got the two separate um, pipes. Oh, that's right. And yeah. so, so again, you know, just from an aesthetic point of view, um, I, I investigated, you know, the the genuine Porsche um, sport tail pipes, and they, of course, had a premium. Um, and uh, I bought a a, a Fab Speed um, okay. tail pipe for it, which is beautifully made. Um, I think it actually flows a little bit better. Not not you've noticed it, but um, it's got the instead of the uh, the T junction where the 
exhaust comes out of each uh, muffler. It's got some a curved path that comes out to the tailpipe. Very, very uh, well made, uh, very straightforward. Um, so I've put that on it. I'm not trying to make it look like a sport model because uh, I'm not kind of into that. I just yeah. liked the look of it. Um, the other thing I no, I think did I think was... the sport tips. I think the sport tips. Sorry to interrupt. I think the sport tips are important. I mean, my my car has them. My car has them as well. Um, and when and you're right about the Porsche part. You know, this is where you have to really be be clever with with parts because I rem- I think at the time when Autohouse Hamilton had to put when I had my Fister exhaust put on, they had to put the replace the sport tips and they couldn't get the old ones off. It was going to be too much of a hassle because they were welded on solidly onto the other exhaust for some reason. Um, so they, you know, they gave me a quote and one quote was for the Porsche part and one quote was for the Danks, uh, Danks part. And I think it was like 50% less, you know, the price for the Porsche part. Yeah. I mean, the price for the Danks wasn't cheap. It was expensive, but it was like the Porsche yeah. price was, you know, nearing... I think it was $1,500 or something for just sport tips, which was just insane amount of money, insane amount yeah. of money. Yeah. All right, so what else have you done? Yeah. Uh, just other minor minor things, you know. I um, I couldn't resist. I bought the aluminium look <laughs> petrol cap, you know, yep. which you only see whenever you open. No, open that's a very flat, important. That's it? very important, Stephen. I bought the same thing. It's very important. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I, I got that from Suncoast at the same time I yeah. got the um, the clear blocker. And, uh, you know, just whenever you pop the cap and you see it there, it just looks better than on a script piece of black plastic. Um, and, the, and the thing and is to the listeners, let's just, I'll just explain to the listeners, the reason why when you're in Australia and you buy from Suncoast is because Suncoast prices, even with shipping, do tend to be, for some things, for most things, a lot cheaper. And this is Suncoast, Suncoast Parts in the US. It actually is a lot cheaper than um, buying things in Australia. Um, I purchased my um, air conditioning unit from them for my 997, Stephen, uh, because it was, yep. you know, the buttons were all gone and I did the stupid thing and I just replaced the whole unit. But, you know, some things like the price is, you know, 30 to 40% cheaper. I mean, some things yeah. are close, but some things are 30 to 40% cheaper. So what else? Yeah. Uh, and the only other thing I've, I've done was I got the um, center armrest, you know, with the Porsche crest put on it just just to, uh, you know, just to uh, make it a little bit special as well. So really, um, really, uh, apart from the clear wind blocker, the other three things have been purely cosmetic, you know, just uh, part of owning your car and trying to make it a little bit unique. But the thing is, those little things, and I've bought, you know, the similar things, I've bought the same things as you pretty much, and those little things are very important. Like, I love my uh, my crest, my um, Porsche crest armrest in my car now. It was so much better than the plain one. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. and it's yeah. it's it's probably a little bit, you know, it's it's not cheap. They're not cheap parts, those sort of parts, um, but they do yeah. make it. They do make a big difference, and um, I've you know, so many people tell me that they bought the the petrol cap, the aluminium look petrol cap, because it really is a. You know, every time you fill up with fuel, it just—I don't know—it does make you feel that little bit better, doesn't it? I don't know why, but it just—it just makes you feel <laughs> like special. It feels special. Look, it, it does, you know. And and you have to ask yourself, really, you know, why don't they just put it on standard? But I guess we know the answer to that. Why? Why put it on standard when you can get people to pay quite a lot of money? Exactly. Know, to, and if you go onto the if you go onto the nine nine two configurator even now. You know that aluminium yeah. petrol cap is is an option. 
it's you know yeah. it's it's there yeah. as an option that you can spec from new but you're right it should yeah, be it right. should be just a standard um should be just a standard thing so yeah. anything else anything else you want to do to the car so you've done those few cosmetic things which we all do which all make us feel that little bit better and and you know it's just about the process of making the car your own really isn't it it's just about making the car feel you know like it's yours is there anything else you'd like That's to right. do um look you know i've i've toyed with the idea um of doing uh some sort of a tune you know the fb brombacker or softronics or something but i'm kind of ambivalent about that uh, because, you know, um, you might get 10% extra performance, but is it really worth it? I don't know. Um, but, but no, look, I'm, I'm just really happy with it now, Michael. You know, it, uh, it does what I want. It does it really well. I enjoy driving it. Um, in terms of the overall performance, you know, I think, um, I think, I think performance is a multi-dimensional thing. You know, you, you've got the straight line performance, but then you've also got the braking and the cornering performance. You know, so I think when people talk about performance upgrades, uh, they naturally think about getting a little bit more power out of it. But um, you know, I, I think that's what. What is the one that people get for the nine eight one? For the nine eight one for the box. Um, what is the what is the pick that when you're reading through the forums that people do to get that little bit of extra power? Look, there there seem to be, you know, two or three very, very reputable um, tunes available. There's uh, an independent um, guy here um, in one of the southern suburbs of Sydney that used to actually work, and I think he was the service manager at Porsche Centre Sydney South for 20 years or so. Okay. And uh, when I was talking to him, um, Paul's his name, you know, I said, look, what's the story with with the tunes, Paul? He said, oh, you know, we go with Softronic. And uh, he says that they're a very good product. And, uh, you know, they, they're favourably reviewed, but there are a number of them. And they all seem to be pretty good from what I can see. I haven't read a done review about any of them. I think, you know, you, you get attuned to your particular fuel, country, engine displacement, whether you've got the exhaust mods or whatever. So it's just and an easy, people, it's just a map, is it? It's just a mapping program. Is that what yeah. it is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's exactly right. So, um, and what sort of price just, would you have to pay if you were doing that for your Boxster? Is it expensive? Did you actually look into it that far or not? Look, uh, it's around about fifteen hundred bucks Australian, around about a thousand dollars. That's not too bad. US, it's not too bad. But I guess when you look at you know the price per horsepower or uh, foot pound of torque or newton meter, it's 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 fairly expensive, you know. So. I'm inclined just just to leave it, to be honest, and, and leave it fairly standard. Um, so, at at this stage, you know, I'm I'm not really thinking of doing many more modifications. I guess, like you said, you know, it, I mean, power. I, I mean, the thing about the Boxster is it's so well balanced, and it and it's so good in the twisties, and it's so good, you know, as a as a as a car in. in how it comes from the factory you know what i mean whether it be an s or whether it be a a standard it doesn't matter um and i guess you i mean i guess when you first got the car and you took it out for that first drive did you did you was it everything you expected when you took that cut when you took it out and you took it for the first you know wherever you went in sydney down to the national park or north or somewhere how did it feel 
Look, look, when I drove it out of the dealer, it was uh, middle of winter, a okay. rainy night, it was dark. <laughs> the worst um, date, the worst uh, time uh, to pick up a car. <laughs> you know, it, 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 I hadn't set everything up um, to see the steering wheel, the mirrors. You know, I'd, I'd done it roughly, but it was a very, very nervous drive. I had to drive into the city and pick my wife up after work, you know, and and I, I just felt really... Um, uncomfortable, you know, paranoid yeah. going through peak hour traffic on a rainy night and the visibility with the roof up, it's not that bad. But I tell you what, you know, in dense traffic, it's not that great either. So my first drive, <laughs> I was a bit nervous. But, uh, yeah. but after that, you know, when when we, um, we do go down through the National Park very, very regularly, we get up at dawn on a Sunday morning, you know, and head out of town and go down through the twisties. And that's when it just feels great. You know, yeah. that, that's when you really get rewarded by the balance, you know, of, of the Boxster. So, um, yeah, yeah. I, I really enjoy that drive, actually. I miss, I, you know, that's one of the things I you know, miss about Sydney. I really enjoy that. I mean, I, going north is okay, but I really enjoy that, that drive through the National Park and, and going a little bit further and, you know, stopping at the Scarborough Hotel, which is on the way down there, and you know, exactly. it's just such a yeah. it's just such a great drive, and especially like you said, if you get up if you get up early enough in the morning. But I think you're right. You yeah. know, when you pick up your car for the first time, and I know I, I felt exactly the same. And my when I picked it up, it was only in, it was in Woolloomooloo in Sydney, so it was quite close yeah. to where I actually live. Um, but it was, you know, it's just a nerve wracking experience because it's the first time <laughs> you've really driven the car apart from the test drive for me. And you know, mine wasn't in rain, and it wasn't in that heavy traffic. It was actually really okay. So I can I can feel yeah. how you were you know feeling then in that in that situation. It would be uh, it would be a bit scary, not so good. Um, I think it was. So now you've got the now you've got the Boxster. Have hmm. you have you thought about you know other Porsches? Have you thought about you would like to get something else, or is this is this enough for you? Um, you know, it's. You get on the um, the Porsche um, slip slide, I guess you know, and and you can't help but but think about other other models. Um, so I have thought about others, but you know, in the end, um, this this does everything that I want, you know. And and an important part of this, as well as being just such a great driving experience, you know. Um, my wife really loves it, <laughs> and when we—it's—it's it's funny, you know, because when we go for our drives through the Royal National Park, we put the top down. You know, you, you hear the birds, you 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 can smell everything. You smell the bush. You know, she she says it's like going for a bushwalk without the effort. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and and it's very much like that. Um, so the seats in it are great too. You know, I mean, we've we've done a couple of nine-hour day trips. And uh, we've got out at the end and, and we felt just as good as we did when we started. So at the moment, um, I'm very, very content with it, Michael. You know, it, it, it's just a great car to drive. You know, it's, it's designed as a roadster from its inception. Um, the mid-engine, as you know, it just means it's beautifully balanced. Um, the whole driving experience is just fantastic. So... So I'm I'm very happy for the time being. Oh, that's great. Does your wife drive the car? Does she drive manual? She can drive a manual, uh, <laughs> and despite me despite me offering uh, offering you know for her to drive it, 
she, she's quite happy just to sit back and um, be a passenger for the time being. But uh, she can drive a manual, but she hasn't driven it as yet. You know? it, it's funny when you buy a Porsche, you know, whether it be a Boxster or whether it be a 911, like I've offered for my brothers to drive my car on numerous occasions and they always decline. Because they, you yeah. know, they don't own that sort of car, so they feel like they're it's it's a bit nervous for people, nerve wracking for people to to drive it. I think you know that's the other side of it. Yeah, people always get a bit worried. Uh, think I don't know for some yeah. reason thinking that Porsches are difficult to drive, which they're not. Um, so you you're part of the you're you're a member of the Porsche Club in New South Wales. So you you know Craig, who's been on a, a previous owner's story. I, I do know Craig, um, so I know Craig quite well actually. Uh, yeah, and uh, we meet up at the Porsche Club drives and so on, and uh, you know, keep in touch on Instagram and so on. Uh, so yeah, he's he's a very good guy, you know, and he has his own story and a different car and and so on, and we just uh, enjoy, you know, uh, both being Porsche owners and uh, having different models that we can compare and talk about. So yes. Yeah, it's a good it's a good comparison, isn't it? It's a good comparison. So when um, what else was I going to say? So when I always ask this question, in the, and we haven't finished the podcast yet, but I always ask this question in the podcast that people like to know. You know, if someone's coming to Australia, which they can't, of course, they can't at the moment because Australia's locked. Australia's yeah. locked out everybody. Um, but if you're coming yeah. to Australia and you want to take your 911 for a drive, or you want to take your Boxster for a drive, your Porsche for a drive, what? What yep. roads would you recommend to the to the listeners? Well, I, th- I think um, we've we've talked about the um, Royal National Park going south of Sydney. You know that that is just a, a beautiful piece of road. And the other thing that's interesting about it is the changing topography and vegetation. You know, you can go down into the in uh, into dense sort of uh, forest, or you can go up the top of the ridges, and you go you know, around the beach and so on. And that's just a great drive on every level, you know, some good cafes um, and so on. The only thing that is a little concerning at times is that it's also very popular with cyclists, you know, who I think they look like they're training for the Tour de France, you know, but uh, you've, you've you've just got to be careful because you can come around a corner and uh, before you know it, there's a cyclist there. And uh, there are a few guys on uh, motorcycles that uh, drive and ride enthusiastically as well. But uh, I think that's my favourite drive. The drive north, you know, up the old Pacific Highway, there's a couple of great cafes there. There's Road Warriors and High in the Sky. Um, That's really nice. And then there's the Putty Road. Bell's line of road as well. I really enjoyed the Putty Road. You know, I've only only done one drive on the Putty Road, Stephen. I think it was last when I was back in Sydney with my friends with Steve that I did a podcast with and we did the Putty Road. Um, I really enjoyed that road. I got to do it again. It was actually, and there was no yeah. traffic, you know, compared to when you go down like, you know, the Royal National Park when we're talking about when you go down south, you have to leave at the yeah. crack of dawn because otherwise there's a lot of police, there's a lot of the cyclists, like you said, are just a nightmare. Um, That's right. But the, the Putty Road was good in fact, in, in the fact that it, I mean, it wasn't as... The elevation didn't seem to change as much. It wasn't as exciting as when you're going down the Royal National Park and then you keep going up through Kangaroo Valley then and back around into Barrel. That's sort of part of the that part of that drive. But the Putty Road right. was um, the Putty Road was still good. It was good that there wasn't much traffic. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, it's you're probably going to go a bit further on the Putty Road, I guess. You know, um, so. Uh, 
you know, you want to head up to the Hunter Valley and so on. It's it's a great road. It's really, really nice. I agree, Michael. Yeah, and I guess with, with all these drives, it's, it's, it's depending on how long you want to drive for because the Royal National Park is a, is a reasonably a good distance. I always find the old pack yeah. is a little bit, you know, you get there and then it's not it's not enough. It doesn't feel like enough. But I don't think I'm going far enough even on the old pack or cutting in far enough because I know that um, Steve said he went for a drive recently with his friend of his that just got another, a GT3 as well that he went further yeah. in and he said, oh, it's much better than where we go because we always turn around a little bit too early, I think. Um, but, yeah. but there's yeah. so many great roads to drive on. And what about, there uh, is there any roads, is there any roads on your wish list if you, if you came, if you went to Europe or something, is there anything that you'd really like to drive? Look, you know, you see these pictures of the Stelvio Pass and um, some of the other roads around northern Italy, you know, around uh, Bologna and places like that. I, I think that would be fabulous, you know, because you get the whole cultural experience as well as the, the driving experience. Um, and, you know, around Croatia too, I think. Uh, I yeah, think that's true. where Porsche filmed their promo for the Boxster 25 uh, down there in Croatia. Yeah, you so, just remind yeah. you just reminded me of something actually, and and this is what I meant to say in the beginning, and I completely forgot. Um, this year, as everyone knows, well, everyone, if, the, if you don't know, you'll you should know. It's the twenty fifth anniversary of the Boxster, um, and that was the mm. other reason why I was keen to talk to you because it is the twenty fifth anniversary. They brought out that um, anniversary model. Um, Steve and I talk about that in in um, Friday's podcast, in this coming Friday's podcast. Um, yeah. I'm recording this one with you is going to be in a couple of weeks' time, but people would have already heard that one already. What do you think about that the 25th anniversary Boxster? Look, I, I think it's gorgeous. I, I think, you know, the four-litre naturally aspirated uh, motor is just a gem. Um, you know, it's, it's got all the goodies uh, as well. Uh, some people, you know, there's a few things on it. It's obviously a bit of a homage, you know, to the um, show car from 1993. But someone else commented, you know, that one of the – there's a beautiful interview with um, uh, – what's his name? Uh, Grant Larson, I think, the American guy, yeah. that was involved in the original design. And it's an interview at the Porsche Museum, you know, talking about the Boxster. And one of the things he mentioned, which he thought was quite um, different at the time, was the centre – um, exhaust outlet. You know, he said at that point there were no cars had sort of centre exhausts, and it kind of surprised me that on the Boxer Twenty Five they haven't got the centre exhaust. They've still got the oh, really? two separate exhausts on, huh. on either side. Yeah. Okay, that's so, strange, isn't it? Um, it is a little bit strange, but I can understand. You know, there are packaging constraints and so on. But I would have liked to have seen that. Um, I think the colours are really nice. I I do like the wheels. They're very different. Uh, for Porsche. Yeah, I think the, wheel, the wheels uh, look good, actually. The colour. I don't know what that colour is. It's not gold, is it? It's kind of like a bronzy sort of gold colour. Yeah. It's not that Aram colour that they're doing on the 992s. But I think they've done a no. pretty good job of it, actually. I think they've done a pretty good job. It's weird about the centre exhaust, though, because my first memory of the Boxster is seeing one in, uh, I think it was Elizabeth Bay in Sydney. And, you mm. know, when it came out. And the two things that I remember is, one, how wide it was. You know what I mean? And yeah. the centre exhaust yeah. for the time. And it was, you know, it was yeah. it was groundbreaking. It was just completely different to anything else on the road. And that's... Yeah, that's right. And, and in fact, uh, I realised how wide it was. You know, I was on a drive up the old pack and, uh, and a fellow pulled in, another member of the Porsche Club, in a 
think it was maybe about an 83 or an 84 911. And, you know, when you park the box next to the 911, you just realise yeah. um, how much the 911 has grown. You know, it, it looked, it was smaller than the Boxster, actually, you know, in every dimension. But uh, it certainly... I heard, of, I heard a fun fact the other day that someone was talking about, they were talking about Ferrari, actually, and it could have been Matt Farrer on Smoking Tire, I'm not sure, but they were talking about the 328 GTS Ferrari, the 80s Ferrari. And apparently that Ferrari, you always think it's a huge car. You always think this, this, oh. this Ferrari is a big car. It's the same size as a Boxster. Yeah. yeah which that's, that's I right. find quite amazing that, you know, the, you know what I mean? Like you feel like they're two different, two different sizes. But, you know, the Boxster is quite a – it's not a small car. It's definitely not a small car. No, that's right. And, and I'm six foot one and I've got to say, you know, I, I have plenty of room uh, when I'm driving. There's plenty of headroom. There's plenty of room side to side and in front of me, um, so it accommodates me very well. I think Porsche do that well, though, don't they, Stephen? I mean, it, it, it is because you sit so low, your centre of gravity. It is, you know, there is, they really do accommodate, you know, tall drivers, um, not like a lot of other cars, you know, don't. They do actually yeah. accommodate tall drivers, and, and there's always plenty of adjustment, which is always good. Absolutely, there is, you know, and... Uh, you know, when when the roof is down, you know your head's not sticking out in the in the airstream. You know, it's it's very calm, so it is actually quite spacious. So, uh, and I think part of that's due to the slightly lengthened wheelbase. You know, compared to the nine eight six and the nine eight seven, and the slightly wider track. Um, so, um, yeah, it, it is quite large. I've only been in. I've I've only been a passenger in in nine eight six and nine eight seven boxers, and and the one thing I notice yeah. is. Is one, you know, like you said, it's the sound, it's the experience. You don't feel like you're blown around. You know what I mean? You've, no. you know, it feels yeah. the the position as a passenger. Even you feel in, you know, a really good position when you're sitting in the car. Um, there is, mm. you know, there's something really special about the about being in the Boxster. It is, you know, it is a special, it is a special Porsche. That's for sure. Um, all right, Stephen. So. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to share with the listeners before we go? Um, we're at the hour mark. We always keep these to an hour. The owner's stories. Look, I, I think um, I, th I think there's a bit of a tendency for 911 owners to see the the Boxster as perhaps you know the poor relative or whatever. Um, but you know, if you want a roadster, um, I don't I don't think you can do better than that. You know, and uh, I remember reading in a car and driver, you know, when they were evaluating the the Boxster, you know, the 981. They said, you know, you know, the straight line performance might not be supercar standard, but its cornering and its braking uh, was GT3 esque. I think is how yeah, they put it. Yeah. You know, so so it's, in terms of the whole driving experience, I think it's just great. I really, really do like it. Yeah, and I think you know, it, like what you said, you wanted the manual. You know, you wanted. You know, it's about getting the right spec as well. It really is, and you know, yeah. it's the same as buying a 911. It's it's about getting the right spec and getting the most out of that out of that spec you know what i mean it's like it's like the base carrera is is the poor brother to the s or whatever you know it's not about that yeah. it's no you know it's still a porsche it's still got the engineering it's still you know you know the history the heritage is is there no matter what it is and that's what's important Absolutely. And, you know and that's that's the most important thing Stephen, thank you so much I thank agree. you for being on um owner stories thank you michael i've, I've really enjoyed it yeah no i appreciate it and uh 
I think, you know, the listeners, you know, I know I, I get messages, a lot of messages from people and, you know, I know people, that, you know, the Boxster and the 9-11, the nine, it's normally the 996 and the Boxster is always in people's, you know, when they're first, you know, I want to buy a Porsche, what shall I do? Shall I go the 996? You know, it's got issues. Should I get a Boxster? You know, so it's always something that comes up. So I think, I think it's helped people, you know, you know, having you on and, and talking about it, 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 it does actually help the listeners and people actually enjoy these uh, enjoy these um, stories of, of, of ownership. So thanks. Thanks so much, Stephen. No problem, Michael. Thank you. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening to the Porsche School podcast. Um, that was Owner's Stories number... Here we go again. I always forget. Number, number, number 20. Number 20. I should remember that. It's easy. Uh, thanks for listening and bye for now. Oh.